Chapter Twelve of Black Ivory by R. M. Ballantyne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve describes a hunting expedition which was both exciting and successful. Down by the reedy margin of a pretty large lake, where wildfowl innumerable made the air vocal with their cries by day, and frogs in numbers inconceivable chirped and croaked a lullaby to men who slept and a symphony to beasts that howled and growled and prowled at night in bush and brake, Kambira pitched his camp. He did not indeed select the moist level of the fever-breeding marshes, but he chose for his temporary habitation the dry summit of the wooded hill which overlooked the lake. Here the natives of the neighborhood said that elephants had been lately seen, and buffaloes, zebras, etc., were all at times numerous. After two long days' march they had reached the spot and encamped late in the evening. Next morning early the business of the expedition began. Various parties of natives armed with bows and arrows and spears were sent out in different directions, but the principal band was composed of Kambira and his chief men, with Harold and his party. They did not go far before game was found. Guinea-fowl were numerous, and those who were armed with bows soon procured a goodly supply of these, but our travelers did not waste their energies or powder on such small game. Besides these, monkeys peeped inquisitively at the hunters from among the trees, and myriads of turtle-doves were seen in the covers. As they advanced, wild pigs, elands, water-bucks, kudus, and other creatures were seen in herds, and the natives dropped off or turned aside in pursuit of these, so that ere long the band remaining with Cambira was reduced to about forty men. Coming to a small river in which were a number of deep pools and shallows, they saw several hippopotami lying asleep, their bodies nearly all out of the water, appearing like masses of black rock in the stream. But at the same place they discovered fresh traces of elephants and buffaloes, therefore the hippopotami were left unmolested, save that Harold sent a bullet amongst them partly to let the natives hear the report of his gun, and partly to see how the animals would take it. They all started to their feet at once and stared around them with looks of stolid surprise that were almost equal to the looks of the natives, to whom firearms were little known, except by report. Another shot sent the whole herd with a heavy plunge into deep water. "'It's a queer country,' observed Disco when they had resumed their march." Just look at them there lizards with red and blue tails running about among the rocks and eating up the white ants like one o'clock. Disco might have said like twelve o'clock, if numbers would have added to the force of his remark, for the little creatures referred to were miraculously active in pursuit of their food. But I suppose, continued Disco, the niggers would think our country a queerer place than this. Undoubtedly they would, replied Harold. Just fancy what would be the feelings of Cambira if he were suddenly transported into the heart of London. "'Hello!' exclaimed Disco, stopping suddenly and pointing to one of the men in advance, who had crouched and made signals to his friends to halt. "'Breakers ahead, eh?' "'More likely buffaloes,' whispered Harold, as he cocked his rifle and advanced quickly with Cambira, who carried a short spear or javelin. On reaching an opening in the bushes a small herd of zebras was observed not much more than a hundred yards in advance. "'Will the white man's gun kill so far?' asked the chief, turning to Antonio. The interpreter made no reply, but pointed to Harold, who was in the act of taking aim. The loud report was followed by the fall of the nearest zebra. 
Disco also fired and wounded another which bounded away in wild alarm with its fellows. The natives yelled with delight, and Disco cheered in sympathy. "'You've hit him,' said Harold, as he reloaded. "'Aye, but I ha'n't disabled him. Better luck next time. I think I took him somewhere on the port bow.' "'If by that you mean the left shoulder,' returned Harold with a laugh, "'it's likely he won't run far. What does Cambero think of the white man's gun?' he added, turning round. The tall chief nodded approvingly and said with a grave countenance, "'Good, good, it is good, better than this,' shaking his short spear. At that moment a small antelope which had been startled and put to flight by some of the other bands of hunters came crashing wildly towards them, ignorant of the enemy in its front until within about thirty yards. It turned at a sharp angle and plunged into the jungle, but the spear which Cambera had shaken whizzed through the air and pierced its heart before it had time to disappear. "'A splendid heave!' cried Disco with enthusiasm. "'Why, man alive, you'd make your fortin as a harpooner if ye was to go to the whale-fishin'. Hello! There's something else. Why, the place is swarmin'. It's for all the world like a zoological garbrin's let loose.' As he spoke the hoofs of a herd of ponderous animals were heard, but the rank grass and underwood concealed them entirely from view. The whole party rushed to the nearest opening, and were just in time to see the tail of an irate buffalo make a magnificent flourish in the air as its owner plunged into cover. There was no further attempt at conversation after this. The near presence of large game was too exciting, so that merely a word of advice, direction, or inquiry passed as the party advanced rapidly, one or two of the most active going before as pioneers. While Disco was striding along with flashing eyes, rifle ready, and head turning from side to side in momentary expectation of something bounding suddenly out of somewhere, he chanced to cast his eyes upward, and to his horror beheld two huge serpents coiled together among the branches of a tree close to his head. Uttering a yell of alarm, for he entertained an almost superstitious dread of serpents, he fired blindly upwards and dashed to one side so violently that he tumbled himself and Harold into a bush of wait-a-bit thorns, out of which the laughing natives found it difficult to extract them. "'What is the matter, man?' said Harold somewhat testily. "'Have a care! Look! A vast! A bite'll be death and no mistake!' cried Disco, pointing to the reptiles. Harold fired at once and brought them both down, and the natives attacking them with sticks soon killed them. "'No fear,' said Antonio with a chuckle. "'Dem not harm nobody, though I'm as ugly and big enough.' This was true. They were a couple of pythons, and the larger of the two, a female, was ten feet long. But the python is a harmless creature. While they were talking, smoke was observed to rise from an isolated clump of long grass and bushes not far from the banks of the river, much to the annoyance of Cambira, who feared that the fire might spread and scare away the game. It was confined, however, to the place where it began, but it had the effect of driving out a solitary buffalo that had taken refuge in the cover. Jumbo chanced to be most directly in front of the infuriated animal when it burst out, and to him exclusively it diverted its attentions. Never since Jumbo was the size of Obo had that laughter-loving savage used his lithe legs with greater energy than on this occasion. An ostrich might have envied him as he rushed towards the river, into which he sprang headlong when the buffalo was barely six feet behind him. Of course Harold fired as well as Disco, and both shots told, as also a spear from Cambira, 
Nevertheless the animal turned abruptly on seeing Jumbo disappear and charged furiously up the bank, scattering its enemies right and left. Harold fired again at little more than fifty yards off and heard the bullet thud as it went in just behind the shoulder, yet strange to say it seemed to have no other effect than to rouse the brute to greater wrath, and two more bullets failed to bring him down. This toughness of the buffalo is by no means uncommon, but different animals vary much in their tenacity of life. Some fall at once to the first well-directed shot, others die hard. The animal the hunters were now in pursuit of, or rather which was in pursuit of the hunters, seemed to be of the latter class. Harold fired another shot from behind a tree, having loaded with a shell bullet which exploded on hitting the creature's ribs. It fell much to the satisfaction of Disco, of whom it happened to be in pursuit at that time. The seamen at once stopped and began to reload, and the natives came running forward when Antonio, who had climbed a tree to be out of harm's way, slipped down and ran with great bravery up to the prostrate animal. Just as he reached it the buffalo sprang up with the activity of a cat and charged him. Antonio turned and ran with such rapidity that his little legs became almost invisible, like those of a sparrow in a hurry. He gained a tree and had just time to climb into it when the buffalo struck it like a battering ram, hard enough almost to have split both head and tree. It paused a few seconds, drew back several paces, glared savagely at Antonio, and then charged again and again, as if resolved either to shake him out of the tree or give itself a splitting headache. But another shell from Harold, who could hardly take aim for laughing, stretched the huge animal dead upon the ground. Altogether it took two shells and five large solid rifle balls to finish him. That was a pretty good spurt, said Disco, panting, as he joined Harold beside the fallen beast. It's well known that a starn chase is a long un, but this would have been an exception to the rule if you hadn't shot him, sir. He mighty nigh made short work o' me. He was almost aboard of me when you fired. True, said Harold, and had that tree not grown where it stands and grown tough, too, I suspect he would have made short work of Antonio, too. Bah, said the interpreter, with affected carelessness, him was but a slow brute, that's all. Disco looked at Jumbo, who was none the worse of his ducking, and shut his right eye smartly. Jumbo opened his cavernous mouth and exploded so violently that his double row of brilliant teeth must have been blown out and scattered on the ground had they not been miraculously strong. Come now, said Kambira, who had just given orders to some of his followers to remain behind and look after the carcass. We go to find elephants. Have we much chance of finding them? inquired Disco. Kambira thought they had, because fresh traces had been recently seen in the neighborhood, whereupon Disco said that he would prefer to go after lions, but Kambira assured him that these animals were not so easy to find, and much more dangerous when attacked. Admitting the force of this, though still asserting his preference of lions to elephants, the bloodthirsty son of Neptune shouldered his rifle and followed his leader. While the main party of hunters were thus successfully pushing along, the other bands were not idle, though possessing no firearms they were less noisy. In fact their proceedings were altogether of the cat-catty. One fellow as black as coal, as lithe as an eel, and as long, according to Disco's standard, as a fathom of pump-water, having come upon a herd of buffalo unseen by them, and being armed with a small bow and quiver of arrows, 
suddenly dropped on all fours and began to glide through the long grass. Now there is a particular little bird in those regions which calls for special notice here. It is a very singular bird, inasmuch as it has constituted itself the guardian of the buffalo. It frequently sits upon that animal's back, and whenever it sees the approach of man or any other danger, it flaps its wings and screams to such an extent that the buffalo rushes off without waiting to inquire or see what is the matter, and the small guardian seems to think itself sufficiently rewarded with the pickings it finds on the back of its fat friend. So vigilant is this little creature that it actually renders the approach of the hunter a matter of great difficulty in circumstances when, but for it, he might approach with ease. Note. See Livingston's Zambezi and its Tributaries, page 200. End of note. Our wary native was, however, aware of this little fellow's propensities, and took precautions to outwit the bird rather than the beast. It may perhaps cause some surprise to be told that a small bow and arrows were a sufficiently powerful species of artillery to bring to bear against such noble game, but the surprise will vanish when we state that the arrows were poison. Having crawled to within range, the fathom of black pump-water suddenly arose and let fly an arrow. The missile went deep into the side of a majestic bull. The little bird fluttered and screamed too late. The bull at once dashed away at full speed, starting off the whole herd in alarm. The black fathom followed at the top of his speed and was joined by a number of other black fathoms, who were quite aware of what had been done. The buffaloes were soon out of sight but the fathoms followed the trail with the unerring pertinacity of fate. After a long run they came up with the stricken bull which had fallen behind its fellows, and waited patiently until the poison took full effect. In a short time the animal fell, and the successful hunters fell to work upon his carcass with their knives. Leaving them thus employed we will return to Cambira and his friends. They had not gone far when a fine water-buck was observed feeding beside a creek. Cambira laid his hand on Harold's shoulder and pointed to it with a smile which might have been interpreted. Now then, there's a chance for you. Harold fired, and the water-buck dropped. Good, said Cambira. Hello, exclaimed Disco. And well he might, for at that moment an enormous crocodile, which had evidently been watching the water-buck, seized and dragged it into the water. It was not deep, however, and the wounded animal made a desperate plunge, hauled the crocodile several yards, and tore itself out of its hideous jaws. It then jumped into the stream and was swimming across when another crocodile made a dash at it. But Harold sent a ball into its ugly head, which appeared to make it change its mind. It disappeared, and the water-buck turning made for the bank from which it had started. Just as it reached the vital spark fled, the fine head dropped, and the body turned over. It will be seen from what has been told that on this occasion the rifles did most of the work. The natives who followed Harold had nothing to do but look on exultingly, glare, dance, show their teeth and gums, and secure the game. We cannot perhaps expect the good-natured reader to follow us through all the details of that day's work, but it would be unpardonable were we to close the chapter without referring to the principal event of the day, which occurred a couple of hours after the shooting of the water-buck. It happened thus. When the hunters began to grow tired, and the prospect of falling in with large game became less hopeful, the chief determined to return to camp. 
but Disco felt so disappointed at not having seen an elephant or a lion that he expressed a wish to continue the chase with a small select party. Harold laughed at the idea of the seaman leading such a party, but offered no objection, although he did not care to accompany his friend, having, as he said, had enough of it, and being desirous of having a long chat with the chief in camp. "'You see, sir,' said Disco, patting the stock of his rifle with his right hand, "'we chance to have got, so to speak, into the heart of a shoal of big fish, and there's no saying soon they may take it into their heads to up anchor and make sail for other grounds. Therefore, says I, blaze away at em while you've got the chance. But you may have as good a chance to-morrow or next day, suggested Harold. We ain't sure of that, sir. To-morrow, they say, never comes, returned Disco. It's my ambition to let fly a broadside at a lion or an elephant, so I means for to go on, and what I says is, who volunteers to sail in company? When the party were given to understand what volunteers meant, the three Makololo men joined the tar with alacrity, also the Somali negroes Nakoda and Konda, and about a dozen of the natives armed with spears. Disco's own men were armed with their guns. Antonio, being necessary to Harold, returned to camp, but this was a matter of little importance, as Jumbo and his fellow countrymen knew enough of English to act as interpreters. Everyone who has had a few years' experience of life knows the truth of the proverb which asserts that fortune favors the brave. Its truth was exemplified on the present occasion not more than an hour after the little band of heroes had set out. Disco led the way, as a matter of course, holding, as he said, that no nigger could possibly be equal to a white sailor in the matter of steering, whether ashore or afloat. He steered by the sun and directed his course to nowhere in particular, being influenced chiefly by the form of the ground and the appearance of the jungle. Jumbo grinned a good deal at the sententious gravity with which the leader delivered his orders and the self-important strides with which he passed over the land. He would have grinned still more, perhaps have laughed outright if he had understood that the occasional off-hand kicks which Disco bestowed on a thick bush here and there were given in the hope that a lion might thereby be set up as one dislodges a rabbit or a hare. At last on reaching the crest of a mound, which was comparatively free of underwood, Disco beheld a sight which caused him to drop on his hands and knees, as though he had been shot. Not more than fifty yards off a herd of cow-elephants and their calves were seen feeding quietly on tall, heavy-seated grass in the plain below. Avast! said Disco in a hoarse whisper, at the same time crouching behind a bush, and making frantic signals to the rest of the party to advance with extreme caution. "'What em see?' inquired Jumbo in low whisper, creeping up to his excited leader. There was no need for a reply. A glance over the top of the bush sufficed. "'Be quiet as mice now, lads,' said Disco, when all the members of his party had crept around him, and become aware of the presence of elephants. Get your guns laid, and if any one of you dares to pull a trigger till I give the world, I'll keyhaul him. This, or something distantly resembling it, having been explained to the men who carried guns, they lay down and took aim. The noise made by the hunters attracted the attention of the nearest elephant, and with true motherly instinct she placed her young one between her forelegs for protection. We fire right in the middle of the lot, inquired Zumbo hastily. 
"'Not at all,' whispered Disco. "'Let every man point at the nearest one, the one that lays broadside on to us, with the little one under her bows. Now, ready, present, fire!' Bang went the seven guns with a degree of precision that might have put to shame any corps of volunteer riflemen in England. Up went the trunks and tails of the elephants, little and big, and away rushed the whole herd in dire alarm. But the wounded animal suddenly stumbled and fell on its knees, then leaped up and ran on heavily. Meanwhile Disco, who had discharged only one barrel of his heavy gun, leaped over the bushes and rushed forward at a pace which for a few seconds enabled him to keep ahead even of the fleet natives. The elephants, however, easily left them all behind, and it appeared as if the affair were about to end in disappointment when the wounded beast again stumbled. "'Hold on! Halt!' cried Disco in a voice of thunder. He kneeled at the same time, took aim, and fired. Whether it was this last shot or the effects of the previous loss of blood we cannot tell, but after receiving it the ponderous animal rolled over on its side and died. To say that the natives became temporarily insane would give but a feeble idea of what now took place, because few readers are likely to be aware of the amazing power of the negro to give expression to the vagaries of insanity. We shall therefore content ourselves by saying that they cheered, laughed, howled, shouted, danced, and yelled, and leave the rest to imagination. Now then, boys, avast Holland, clap a stopper on your bellows, Willie! said Disco, in a boatswain's roar that effectually quelled the tumult. Cut off to camp every mother's son of you, and bring up Cambira and all the boys, with as many knives and dishes as ye can muster, for this mountain of flesh ain't going to be cut up in a hurry, and the sun won't be long a-going to bed. Away with thee, let's see how you can wag your black legs, and I'll keep watch over the carcass. If anything comes to have a look at it, a lion, for instance, so much the worse for the lion." It was in vain that Jumbo explained there was no necessity for sending more than one of the party to the camp. Disco was a strict disciplinarian, and having given the order enforced it in a manner which admitted of no disobedience. They therefore departed leaving the seaman seated on the elephant, smoking his pipe with his gun beside him. But Jumbo did not go far. He soon turned aside from his companions and returned to the scene of the hunt, resolved, if possible, to give his leader a fright. Gaining the skirts of the jungle which surrounded the open space where Disco kept watch, he crept cautiously as near to him as possible. Disco sat smoking and eyeing the elephant with a smile of satisfaction. Presently he rose, retreated a few yards from the carcass, and stood admiring it with his head on one side, as if it were a picture and he a connoisseur. He had in this act approached somewhat nearer to Jumbo, who saluted him with a most awful growl. No monkey in Africa could have dropped its pipe had it been a smoker or sprung to seize its gun had it been a sportsman with greater agility than did Disco Lillehammer on that trying occasion. Getting on the other side of the dead elephant he faced around, cocked both barrels, and prepared to receive whatever might come. Jumbo, lying very low behind a bank of earth for safety, gave another low growl. Disco started and half raised his piece. Jumbo then threw a large stone towards a neighboring bush, which it struck and caused to rustle. This was enough for Disco, who took a quick aim and let fly the contents of both barrels into the bush. Jumbo noiselessly but swiftly crept back into the woods, 
chuckling as he went, leaving Disco to reload in wild haste. But his haste was uncalled for. There was no more growling, no more rustling in the bushes. "'I've done for him,' muttered Disco, after waiting patiently at the ready for some time. "'But it won't do for me to venture up to it all by myself. Perhaps it's a lion, and they do say it's chancy work to go near a wounded lion.' To be sure the growl wasn't so loud as I'd have expected of the king of the forest, but then they don't always growl loud. Anyway, I'll keep a bright lookout and wait till the niggers return. Philosophizing this, the bold seaman mounted guard over the elephant. Meanwhile, Jumbo, having got out of earshot of his friend, indulged in a loud laugh and made after his friends, but observing the visage of a small yellow-colored monkey among the leaves overhead, a thought flashed into his mind and induced him to change his plans. Throwing his spear dexterously he transfixed the monkey and brought it down. Returning with great caution to the bush into which Disco had fired, and gliding with the noiseless motion of a snake the latter part of the way, he placed the dead monkey on the ground and left it there. It was by that time too late to overtake his comrades. He therefore waited until they returned and then joined the party in rear, as though he had followed them from the camp. The same wild exhibition of delight was about to be enacted when the party came trooping up, but Disco quickly checked it by the astounding announcement that he thought he had shot a lion or something of that sort. "'You don't mean it!' said Harold, rather excited. "'All I know is,' said Disco, "'that I heard something uncommon like a lion growl twice in yonder bush. It saw the bush move, too.' so I fired a broadside that seemed to finish him at once, for there was no more rustling after that. "'And no more growlin'?' asked Jumbo, with much simplicity of countenance. "'Not a growl, nor nothing else,' answered Disco. "'Well, get your guns ready, lads,' said Harold, "'and stand by to fire while we go and search the bush.' So saying, Harold and Disco advanced together with their rifles ready, while the natives, who were more or less alarmed, according to their respective degrees of courage, scattered in a semicircle, well in rear. Kambira, armed with a spear, kept close to Harold, and Jumbo, with unwanted bravery, walked alongside of Disco. Antonio, quietly retiring, took refuge in a tree. "'You sure you hit him?' inquired Jumbo in a whisper. "'Can't say I'm sure,' replied Disco, "'but we'll soon see. Was um's growl very bad?' asked Jumbo. "'Hold your long tongue,' said Disco testily, for he was becoming excited. "'Look, see dare!' exclaimed Jumbo in an energetic whisper. "'What? Where?' "'Look, right through de bush. This way. There. Don't you see em skin? To utter. To utter side. Fire.' Why, "'Why, eh?' exclaimed Disco, peering keenly through the leaves. "'Yellow hair. Yes, it's—' Stopping abruptly, he pointed his gun at the bush, and poured the contents of both barrels into it. Then, clubbing his weapon and brandishing it into the air, he uttered a wild cry, went crashing through the bush, and next moment stood aghast before the yellow monkey, whose little carcass he had almost blown to atoms. We won't chronicle the roars of laughter, the yells of delight that followed, the immense amount of chaffing, the innumerable witticisms and criticisms that ensued, no, no, regard for the gallant seaman constrains us to draw a veil over the scene and leave it, as we have left many things before, and shall leave many things yet to come to the reader's vivid imagination. Fortunately for Disco, the superior attractions of the dead elephant soon drew off attention from this exploit, 
the natives proceeded to cut up the huge mass of meat, and this was indeed an amazing spectacle. At first the men stood round the carcass in dead silence, while Cambira delivered a species of oration, in which he pointed out minutely the particular parts of the animal which were to be apportioned to the headmen of the different fires of which camp was composed, the left hind leg and the parts around the eyes being allotted to his English visitors. These points settled, the order was given to cut up, and immediately the excitement which had been restrained burst forth again with tenfold violence. The natives seemed to be quite unable to restrain their feelings of delight, as they cut away at the carcass with spears and knives. They screamed as well as danced with glee. Some attacked the head, others the flanks, jumping over the animal or standing on it the better to expedite their operations. Some ever and anon ran off screaming with masses of bloody meat, threw it on the grass, and went back for more, while others, after cutting the carcass open, jumped inside and wallowed about in their eagerness to reach and cut out the precious fat, all talking and shouting at the utmost pitch of their voices. "'Well, now,' said Disco to Harold, with a grin of amusement, "'the likes of that I never did see nowheres. Cutting up a Greenland whale is nothing to it.' "'Come, come,' said Harold, checking his laughter and seizing an excited negro by the shoulder. "'No fighting allowed.' This had reference to two who chanced to have taken a fancy for the same mass of meat, and were quarrelling so violently over it that blows seemed on the point of following, but having left off part of their superabundant energy in words, they rushed back to expend the remainder on their dead friend. Suddenly a sharp agonized yell was heard inside the carcass. Next moment Zombo jumped out all bloody and furious, holding up his right hand. While groping about inside, one of his two eager comrades outside had laid about rather incautiously with his knife, drove it through the meat, and sliced Zombo's left hand. He was easily soothed, however, Harold bound up the cut with a piece of rag, and Zombo went to work as recklessly as ever. In a marvelously short time tons of meat were cut up and divided amongst the band, and before daylight had quite disappeared the hunters were on their way back to camp, while a troop of hyenas and other carnivora were gorging themselves with the elephant's remains. End of chapter 12 Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com